Last week, I uh, began a series of messages on the hard sayings of Jesus. You know, it seems so much of the time when we read our scripture and we listen to the words of Jesus, we just kind of gloss over them. Uh, you know, we may have heard them before. And when we do that, we don't realize, actually, how revolutionary, how radical, how shocking some of these sayings actually are when we stop and think about it as though we were hearing them for the first time. I mean, last week we talked about Jesus saying, whoever follows me will, will, uh, must take up their cross and follow well, I mean, have you ever thought about that? What a cross means? What a cross meant back then? Basically, is the worst public execution, an instrument of torture that anybody has ever invented. Jesus is inviting his people, inviting people to come follow him, and he says, "Take up your cross." Well, that was last week's message, so you'll have to go online and hear that sermon. I won't preach it again. But today we're going to come to another hard saying, and it comes to us within the context of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and uh, so let me, uh, well, let us read from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning at verse 41. <clears throat> Listen to God's Word. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up to the, at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learn from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, 
This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then going down to verse 66, we read, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Amen. <clears throat> so listen again to these words. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. As I've said, Jesus said a lot of hard things over the course of his ministry, but this saying is among the most extreme. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. What can Jesus possibly mean? Is he advocating the practice of cannibalism? Actually, the Romans accused the early Christians of that very thing. Even many of his followers thought that his words were weird, <laughs> very strange. And that's how we take it today, don't we? With our modern ears? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Sounds like vampire movies, right? Dracula. Well, we can begin to understand this saying of Jesus by taking a look at the context. And of course, that's where we must always begin when we want to interpret Scripture correctly. We have to look at the context. And that context is the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John where we hear about the feeding of the 5,000. And I think you all most of you probably know that story of how Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes, and, uh, and actually there were more than 5,000, that was just the men, right? There were women and children. But everybody had their fill, and uh, they were all happy. They had, as I said, they had enough to eat, and the crowd was so impressed with Jesus that they wanted to make him king. After all, if with Jesus as their king, they would never have to worry about mealtime again. Can you imagine? No longer at 4 p.m., you'd have to, you, you wouldn't have to turn to each other and ask, what are we doing for dinner? No. Imagine that. All their physical and material needs as they followed Jesus, the miracle worker. And so they clamored, give us bread, O king, and rule over us. But this, of course, is not what Jesus had in mind. He was unwilling to be their bread king. And so Jesus somehow escaped the crowd, went over to the other side of the lake, only to be discovered again by that same searching, clamoring crowd. And by this time, Jesus was getting really frustrated and said to them, in effect, look, you guys, <laughs> you're only coming here and searching for me because you want to have lunch. It's not about having three square meals a day. You are looking for me because you ate the bread and you had your fill. But can't you see, it's, I'm talking about something so much more than that. I'm trying to point you to a greater spiritual reality. Can't you see, I want to fill empty hearts with spiritual food, with food that truly satisfies, food that lasts. But as Jesus was talking uh, about, uh, about all this, 
um, about the special food that he was offering, um, many of them would have thought of the, the manna come from heaven. You know, that was special food that God, bread-like substance that God sent to, to Moses, to the people of Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness, and that sustained them in all their, wonder, in their wonderings. But Jesus was offering something better than that. Is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven? It's not him, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven? And I'm sure that the crowd didn't have a clue what Jesus was talking about. But it sounded wonderful. Oh, we want some of that bread. To which Jesus responded with an incredible claim. <clears throat> he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. That is an incredible claim in itself. I mean, when you think about it, right? I'm the bread of life. Can you imagine that coming just from me? I am the bread of life. Doesn't wash, you know. Well, Jesus, I don't know. Shocking words. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I am not only the bread giver, but I am the bread itself. Just as you cannot live without material bread for your physical body, so you cannot live without me. I am the very source of your life. I am bread for your existence. <clears throat> now notice Jesus does not say, I am the cake of life. You know, I, I, he's, he's not saying that he's a luxury that you can add on to your life uh, if you're inclined to dabble in religion. But he says, no, not the cake of life, but I am the bread of life. Not artisan bread, not fancy bread, but I'm the barley bread. I am the poor person's bread. I am basic and essential to your life. One cannot hope to survive, says Jesus, without me. It's essential for human existence. You see, Jesus is, is bread and water. Absolutely crucial to life itself. And sometimes I wonder, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that he's absolutely essential for every human being? Not just for those who dabble in religion? Is he absolutely crucial to human existence? Is he at the core of everybody's being and should be? And it just seems to me that if we really believed it, then we would be anxious to let our neighbors and friends know about that. That he would be a great gift to give to others. It's the gift of life, right? Life now, but life forever with him. Do we really believe he is the bread of life, as essential to life as bread itself? Well, the Jewish leaders caught wind of what Jesus was saying to the crowds, and in true form, they grumbled among themselves. Who was he to say that he is the true bread come down from heaven? Isn't he the son of Joseph and Mary? Doesn't he come from Nazareth? And everybody knows that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. 
He says that he comes down from heaven. Isn't he just a carpenter? From the family we all know. And here he is trying to make himself out to be God. The bread of life. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? We cannot stomach his teaching. It's hard. Who can accept it? And I've, as I've said, we're told that even many of Jesus' disciples could not accept this teaching, and they turned their back on him, and they deserted him. But So Jesus' words were offensive. They were offensive not only because they sounded cannibalistic, but the idea of drinking blood, let alone human blood, was repugnant to the Jews because it was expressly prohibited in the law of God, in the Torah. God says in the book of Leviticus, Therefore I say to the Israelites, None of you may eat blood, nor may an alien living among you eat blood. The Israelites were not even allowed to eat meat that had not been fully drained of its blood. Blood represented the gift of life. It was sacred. It was against Jewish law to drink it. So it's no wonder, you know, that the, the Jewish leaders and the, would be offended. Well, uh, Jesus certainly got their attention, and he gets ours. We have to ask, well, what does he mean then? Okay, we're supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And it's clear that he's speaking spiritually, not literally. Jesus is using a very strong metaphor to make a spiritual point. Jesus was always doing this. He was not obviously talking about cannibalism. It's about spiritual reality. It's about a closer walk with Jesus. It's about participating more fully in his life and death and resurrection and his continuing ministry. So that to eat Jesus' flesh, to drink his blood, is to take his life into ours, to ingest him, as it were, to appropriate his life so that it gets inside of us and becomes part of us. It's to feed on him his words and his attitudes and his examples and his presence until we become filled with his life. So much so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So that to eat and drink Jesus is to be on intimate terms with him, walking with him on a, on a daily basis, being so identified and united with him that we instinctively think as he thinks and we act as he acts. To eat and drink Jesus is to acknowledge him to be the very source of life. I mean, the, the, the core um, source of one's existence, purpose, meaning, hope. Without him, one cannot hope to live fully now and forever with him. To eat and drink Jesus is to constantly draw on the sustenance that he gives us. He gives us the wisdom and the strength we need to live this life, which is often difficult for us, right? We're kind of like that thirsty branch that needs to draw sap from the, the living vine. 
It is, as Jesus himself says, to remain in me and I in him, maintaining an intimate connection. So we are to take his life into, our, into ours, allowing him to shape and to inform our life. And this is a far cry from simply believing certain things about him, that he was the son of God and that he lived in Judea 2,000 years ago and that he was a good man, he was a good teacher. And we know we may hold all of these things to be true intellectually, but sadly, some of us never get beyond that. It's all in the head, it's all conceptual, but it's not an inner dynamic reality. I like to say that, you know, we, we don't make the 16-inch journey, right, from the head to the heart. It just stays up here. We know about him, but we don't allow him to be, live inside us, so it actually impacts the way we live. So we treat Jesus as a theological concept or as a philosophical idea or as a past historical figure or even as a hero to look up to, but not as a dynamic living reality dwelling inside us. Jesus is out there, where he need, and, but he really needs to be in here, in the heart. As Paul says to the Colossians, the gospel is all about, the mystery of the ages is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you and in me, the hope of glory. William Barclay, who is well known to Bible students, um, he's a commentator, wrote the Daily Bible Study uh, commentary series, I think gives us a helpful analogy and he asked us to think of it this way. He says, here in a bookcase is a book which a person has never read. It may be the glory and wonder of the tragedies of Shakespeare, but so long as it remains unread upon his bookshelves, it is external to him. One day he takes it down and reads it, and he's thrilled and fascinated and moved, and the, the story sticks to him. The great lines remain in his memory. Now when he wants to, he can take that wonder out from inside himself and remember it and think about it and feed his mind and his heart upon it. Once the book was outside him, but now it is inside him and he can feed upon it. It's that way with any great experience in life. It remains external until we take it within ourselves. So it is with Jesus, says Barclay. So long as he remains a figure in a book, he is external to us. But when he enters into our hearts, we can feed upon the life and the strength and the dynamic vitality that he gives to us. Jesus said that we must drink his blood and eat his flesh. He is saying, you must stop thinking of me as a subject for theological debate. You must take me into you. You must come into me, and then you will have real life. This is what Jesus meant when he spoke about us abiding in him and himself abiding in us. In Barclay's words, when he told us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he was telling us to feed our hearts and souls and minds on him and to revitalize our lives with his life until we are filled with the life of God. So we are to feed on him so that, that, that he becomes, comes inside of us, shapes us. 
We allow him to come into the very core of our being, the center of our heart. So then, how do we feed on Jesus? How do we get more of his life into us? Certainly by regularly meditating upon his word and reading that word. And I hope it's a daily practice for you that you read some passage of scripture from the gospels or letters or what have you so that he can begin to shape you as you go about your day. I would commend to you the practice of memorizing Scripture. I don't know how many of you do that, but that is a terrific way to internalize God's Word so that it, 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 the, the internal knowledge will then, uh, you can call, that, call it up to mind when you're in a certain situation or when a certain fearful thought comes to you. You can quote the words of Scripture. You don't even have to go to a book. You know it. You internalize the Word. It's a great practice. Feed on Jesus' word in the Gospels. Let him speak to you personally, and you will find nourishment for your souls. We can also feed on Jesus not by not only listening to his word and reading it, but by obeying it. Just as Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, so our food is to do the will of God. So we not only try to understand what Jesus is saying, but we try to put it into practice with his help. We eat his flesh, drink his blood. We abide in him and he in us. We feed on Jesus by uh, faithful attendance at worship because it's here that the word of God is proclaimed and where kingdom living is encouraged and taught. We need each other. You know, we spend all of our time out in the world, and it can be so distracting, and it shakes up our priorities, and uh, we forget Jesus. (laughs) We forget who we are and whose we are. That's why we need to come every Sunday to get reoriented around the center, around the core. It's crucial to our life as Christians, which is why it says in the letter of Hebrews that we should not forsake the assembling together. We need each other. In fact, every time you come here, you're actually an encouragement to your other brothers and sisters in Christ. We remember that we're not alone fighting this battle. And then we feed on Jesus by partaking of the sacraments that he himself has instituted. He says, come to this table, eat eat my flesh, eat my bread, drink my blood, drink this wine. Because as you do so, you are strengthened. Your faith is strengthened. You're given strength for the tasks of discipleship. Come and eat and drink me and drink my my love here. Receive forgiveness. Receive new power. The church didn't invent this. Jesus did. He instituted it. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. And so out of obedience, we do just that but also with gratitude in our hearts for all that Christ has done for us. But we're spiritually nourished here. We need that. So I don't know how this message finds you this morning. It may may be that you're feeling spiritually malnourished. Maybe your spiritual tank is on empty or getting near that. Uh, You may find yourself beaten down by life. Uh, Life can do that. Sometimes life just totally falls apart at times. Sometimes it seems like 
some people have far more than their share of life's troubles. May seem unfair. We're all dealing with stuff in our life that's not helpful or it's just downright scary. Listen to the words of Jesus. I mean, his words may seem off-putting and quite shocking, actually, when you think about it, but they are actually a gracious invitation to enter into a new and satisfying kind of relationship that brings life. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Whoever comes to me shall never be hungry. Whoever believes in me shall never be thirsty. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Not just life beyond the grave, but a higher quality of life now. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. In other words, this is food that will really satisfy. It is food like no other. It will fill our empty heart with new purpose, with new meaning and hope. And we will find strength and courage for the living of these days. So let us enter into a closer walk with Jesus, a closer relationship with Him, so that He is in us and we are in Him. And indeed, we may experience life as He intended for us to have. Let us feed on Him by faith and be filled with the very life of God. So let us pray. Gracious God, we, uh, we confess that too often we have left you outside of our lives. You're knocking on the door of our hearts and yet we leave you outside knocking. Too often we've treated you like a, a philosophical idea or a theological concept or as an historical figure in a book or as a hero to look up to, but, but you are so much more than that. You are the Lord, the Savior of the world, and you have given yourself, your very body and blood for us that we might be free of the power of sin and death and experience life in all its fullness. So we come to you anew this day. Feed us with your love and your grace. Strengthen us for the calling that you've given us in the world. To you be all praise and glory forever and ever. Amen.